festival. Festivals. Festivals. Celtic festival. Festival. Can't wait for the festival. The National Celtic Festival. Podcast. Podcast for the festival. Great lineup of bands. Great interviews. People coming together. Funny moments. A culture evolving. Good music. This is the National Celtic Festival podcast. Hello and welcome to episode three of the National Celtic Festival podcast. This is a four-part series recorded at the festival which is held in Port Arlington, Victoria, Australia in June 2017. I'm your co-host, Misha Herman. And I'm Michelle Herbison. If you haven't checked out our other episodes one and two yet, we highly recommend you do so. In this podcast, we're showcasing some of the international and local acts from the festival. Later on, you'll hear from Charmer Finches, Anatole Road and Duck Duck Goose. But first, we're going to start this episode by speaking to Paul McKenna from Scotland. Michelle met up with him on the Sunday afternoon in the Celtic market. I went to my ramble from Sunford to Sweet Ballydee. I met the Thummy as I ramble. I'm Paul McKenna from, uh, from Glasgow in Scotland. I'm a singer songwriter. She sighed for the rights of old Ireland. Michael Davitt, my brave Irish boy. He is now in a prison in Portland. Far from the lovely sweet banks of the boy. He is now in Paul McKenna sees the world as verses and choruses. That's what his website says. He's all about singing songs. Paul actually came out to this festival solo, but he normally plays with his band, the Paul McKenna Band. They've been touring and performing for more than 11 years and they've recorded four albums. Paul told me the lineup's changed a little bit over time, but he's got three guys who he's currently playing with. So there's myself and then there's Ewan Baird. He plays Bowden and like other percussion and, and he sings. Connor, Connor Markey. He plays bazooki and tenor banjo. Um, and Robbie Gregg, who's a fiddle player from uh, from Edinburgh. Sean Gray is a flute player and whistle player. We've got a guy called Conal McDonough who plays flute and whistle and Irish Irish pipes. It was a bit of a step for Paul to come out here on his own. He's been playing solo more and more lately, but this was his first solo festival gig. He must have really wanted to come to Port Arlington as he practically flew out from Scotland just for the weekend. I just had time free and, uh, and to be honest, the idea of just coming out for one festival didn't really faze me at all because I travel the whole year. I don't fly out for weekends to Australia <laughs> very often, but uh, I've known about the festival for a few years and I've known Una for a few years, who's the director, and we've been talking about it for a good number of years about either me mostly originally my band coming over and then I was at the Folk Alliance conference in Kansas City in Missouri in February and um, I had a chat with her and decided let's just let's just go for it this year and Paul's music is modern and accessible yet strongly rooted in tradition with influences from Scotland Ireland and beyond when he plays with the band they incorporate lots of traditional folky sounds but Paul himself, he's a guitarist and a singer, and he's all about great songs. I sing a lot of my own songs, and I sing some traditional songs um, from Scotland and Ireland, um, and then I do some other things just thrown in there that maybe other people have written in, in that as well. So it all comes under folk. <laughs> yeah. So did you grow up playing folk music and being inspired by kind of you know traditional Celtic stuff? I did, yeah, but I also played all different kinds of music and played classical music and I played in rock bands and stuff. And, um, but yeah, I, had, I come from a, an Irish background, so there was 
spent a lot of time in Ireland when I was young and there was lots of music there and spent time at festivals and stuff and it always just kind of always just kind of grabbed me like that the traditional music and songs and stuff so what do you love about traditional music that is like different to other styles what is it that's really special about it I don't know. I think any kind of music that is um, traditional, regardless of where it's from, has always kind of just grabbed my attention. I think it just stirs up a lot of emotion, and the other music doesn't. And I, I listen to a lot of different. I listen to everything from chart music to bluegrass and Irish, Scottish, whatever old-time music. I listen to lots and lots, but there's something about that kind of um, traditional music, whether it's Scottish, Irish. American, Canadian, that, I, that, that always kind of just grabbed me, yeah. Um, so tell us a bit about your songwriting itself. Um, so do you have any um, particular kind of themes that you keep coming back to or any kind of not, approach? Not really, no, and I don't write a huge number of songs that um, I haven't done up until the last couple of years. I predominantly sang traditional and then I would throw, you know, do a couple of my couple of my songs, but now I'm getting, I'm getting into writing a lot more and that's a big part of the of the, the gig and all that now for me, so I don't really follow any kind of any kind of structures or anything. I just write. I just whatever happens, happens. Whatever comes out on the paper, and then yeah. yeah. Have you had anyone come up to you and make comments about certain songs over this year's festival? Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's been any yeah. stories. <laughs> <laughs> there's no the one of the songs that people comment on of mine I suppose is one uh, called Long Days and I, and I wrote this next song when I was uh, when I was living in Florida and I, I played uh, music at Disney World which is uh, there we go that's Colin Farrell he, he lives in Florida as well he didn't manage to escape though he's been there for a long long time <laughs> I played music at Disney World and it was probably one of the most um One of the strangest experiences in my, my life so far, anyway. Sharing that backstage area with all the, the Disney characters and stuff like that. And so I wrote this song after I'd been there for about six months. All my friends and family had already been in, and visited and it seemed like a long road to go until I got to go back home again. So I wrote this song called Long Days. In the present day, longing for the future We are heavy heart and tearful eye Grateful for the past The grass is always green until you try to walk it The earth and all its glory holds you in an empty pocket Long days, wandering minds To the end of what we call a road And the endless paths that wind Long days, wandering minds. Yeah, so it was inspired by. I mean, basically, it's a song about being homesick. Um, but I think people remember it because I, I talk about Disney and stuff before it and give it a bit of a slagging. But, uh, yeah. So, folk music is all about storytelling just like this. It's possibly the defining factor that makes folk folk. A huge difference between folk and, for example, pop music is that storytelling element the sharing of songs through the generations and between singers. Paul mentioned being particularly influenced by the singing of Dick Gokken. At the minute I'm playing a song in my set called um, Erin Go Bra, which is a song that I've known for a long, long time. I learned it from, uh, 
from the singing of Dick Gawkin, who's one of my heroes, and and um, and I've started doing it in the set largely because um, Dick Gawkin has become a little bit ill recently, and he's not he's not playing much now. So that I kind of just uh, I thought I'll just I'll just start singing it because I've always loved it, and and that's a pretty interesting story. It's a, it's a Scottish song, but it's called Erin Gobra, which means Ireland forever. Um, but it's a it's a song about you know. Um, it's from the early 19th century and it talks about the, you know, how badly the Irish were treated in, um, in Scotland but, and everywhere at that time, I suppose. But, but this, this song is, talks about Scottish people being confused for Irish people and they were all very similar back then. And when they came down to the Lowlands of Scotland from the Highlands, people always thought they were Irish because of the way they spoke and dressed and looked in general. So. My name's Duncan Campbell for the Shadier Gale. I've travelled this country for many's a mile I've travelled through Ireland and Scotland the more And the name I go under's bold there in Goldborough And one night in old Ricky as I walked in the street A saucy big pose a chance for to meet He glowered in my face and he gave me some jaw Saying welcome ye our bold there in Goldborough most of us are probably aware that lots of Irish people have moved away from Ireland over the years. I mean, most cities in the world have at least one Irish pub, right? Some of them have come as far as Australia, but there have also been a lot who just moved across the water to Scotland. Here's Paul talking about his family's history. My grandparents are Irish, so they didn't come, my grandparents didn't come over, or my grandfathers, I should say, come over until the 50s, probably. So it's not that long, not that long, long ago, you know. Um, but yeah, it was a huge, it was a huge Irish diaspora in Glasgow. Mm. Yeah. Paul's a part of the next generation of traditional musicians who are working hard to make the music accessible to young people so it doesn't die out. Paul and I chatted about this. I think it's probably uh, that's the that's the goal for everybody that plays. Well, not, maybe not everybody, but for, for a lot of us who are trying to make a career out of it, is to try and make the music more accessible to people who listen, who don't, maybe don't listen to trad music or folk music or, or don't come from that background. Um, so that's always been the goal for us, is to try and be as contemporary, I suppose, um, as we possibly can. And, you know, by doing things like writing our own songs and stuff, that's been done for a long time, but, I mean, just trying to make it more, you know, trying to get more people involved and getting young, get young people, invo- you know, out listening to it because... The majority of people who come and listen to folk music all over the world are, are, are a bit older. So it's going to come a time where something's going to have to change or we won't be having a job anymore. <laughs> so do you feel like um, there's more young people getting more involved? Do you, do you have like kind of a young fan base back home? Or? It's hard to say because no, because Glasgow's different because there is a lot of musicians in Glasgow. There's a music university, a conservatoire of music there that has a folk music course, a traditional music course, and uh, some musicians from all over Scotland will come and study there, and it means that Glasgow's really, it's really thriving, like the music scene. So if you're, you know, gigs in Glasgow are generally busy and people, young people go, um, but that's not the same all over the world, so it has to, it has to, something has to change. I don't know what we can do, we're trying, we'll keep trying though. So have you had any highlights of this year's festival? My show yesterday was a big highlight for me, I think it was... This is the first festival I've played on my own. Um, so yeah, that was that was good. Yeah, I really enjoyed it yeah, greatly. From the lovely sweet banks of the boy, and we'll drink to a brave Michael David. From the lovely sweet banks of the boy. 
That was the music of Paul McKenna finishing off that story by Michelle. One of the things that this festival likes to focus on is giving opportunities to younger and upcoming musicians. There were heaps of acts at this festival that we wish we could have covered, but we managed to catch up with three local bands. So coming up, we'll hear from Anatole Road and Duck Duck Goose, but first up, here's Charm of Finches. basically just been singing together at home, you know, like with our mum, because our mum has been a choir leader and she's helped us with harmonies and that sort of thing and we've had music around us all our lives so we loved harmonising in the bathtub and stuff like that, you know. I started writing songs, that was when I was 12. I picked up the guitar and taught myself. Ivy and I have just been writing songs together ever since. Yeah, in year eight, I decided I wanted to make a CD, um, and that was for my school project. Mm. At first it was just going to be a little CD I made at home, Mm. you know, just burn some for my friends, and then it just turned into this big thing, and we made it, like, properly and printed them all out professionally, and, yeah, and then we just started getting into folk festivals, and we've been playing folk festivals for about, what, maybe three Three, three years? Three years, yeah. Yeah. I think sisters, well, maybe because of genetics or something, <laughs> our voices just blend well, I think, um, which is, yeah, quite unique, I guess. And there's a lot of um, sibling duos and bands Jackson 5, <laughs> the one that came to mind. But, um, yeah, that just um, just blend really nicely and, yeah, that's part of our sound. Yeah, so how do you kind of fit it in with school? It's, it's hard. I'm in VCE now, so it, it gets tricky. But, um, you know, we, we make time because we love it. to eventually tour tour nationally um, and we'll probably make another album in a couple of years 
Um, we made an album last year called Staring at the Starry Ceiling, which we recorded with a guy called Nick Huggins, who is great, mm. um, in his bungalow in Point Lonsdale. And, yeah, it was just a great experience. <laughs> foot and I am an oboe and fiddle player from Melbourne and I'm here at the National Celtic Festival 2017 to play with Duck Duck Goose, The Neon Effect and the mighty Melbourne Scottish Fiddle Club. band called Duck Duck Goose with the gorgeous Sarah Wade and it's sort of a pipes and oboe affair which is a little unusual <laughs> so we, we flush it out with some English concertina and some fiddle and other assorted effects um, yeah and we just you know we're just getting on the Celtic train and just loving it you're like an orchestra oboe player right so yeah my training is classical and what do you love about folk music and what do you love about it like compared to classical in terms of the culture and um, the priorities I guess what I'd say is that the best thing about folk music for me is the community music um, uh, heart of it you know so it's about people coming together sharing tunes a culture evolving people busting out their instruments and learning from one another if they like to do that or singing or sharing poetry there are no boundaries everyone can just come together and I just think that is amazing ah I love that I try my best to play the 
Baron and other various percussionists. I have I have aspirations to be a percussionist, but I'm, I'm not really yet. So, um, really, I'm a singer. I I'm Alex. I play the fiddle. My name's Matthew, and I haven't tried the haggis yet. <laughs> Is there any haggis? Is there? Uh, yeah. Well, there's usually a couple of stalls selling haggis. Oh. And kind of battle it out for who's going to be the best haggis vendor. I've never tried them. haggis before. We should definitely interview them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. How can any dove bend without a bone? Quantum, quantum, paradisentum, very meridictum I kind of go on endless kind of treasure hunts. You, you two, you, we all do, yeah. don't we? Kind of, um, I don't know, YouTube and um, just get pulled down rabbit holes of various things and come up with things that we like. But um, my, I sang before before I met these guys I didn't do any of the folk stuff I was a classical singer and um and so I don't know I'm kind of interested in kind of bringing some things over into this field and remodeling some of the music that I also know from before um so yeah we're trying to do a little bit of that as well which is kind of so I think we all bring our music that we have (laughs) already and kind of pull it together and see what we come up with a lot of the time where where is Anatole Road or what is Anatole Road by the way (laughs) we um Given that we sort of pull music from everywhere that we possibly can and, and sort of spin it into whatever textures we like with very little regard for any sort of authenticity or accuracy, uh, which is sort of world music um, in the 21st century, really, uh, we just wanted to make up a word that was very, very culturally ubiquitous. ubiquitous. Mm. So the word Anatole is in a whole bunch of different languages. Usually it means sunrise in French, Italian. We, just, we made an anglicised version because one didn't exist and we stuck the word road on the end. So you know how we were talking to Anatole Road in that last story about haggis? Well, straight after the interview, I went looking for the famed vendor of the good haggis. So we've got a, um, a tent over here which is basically made of tartan plastic and it says Moet's haggis, black pudding, square slice, scotch pies and venison. Oh, there's a lot of signs. This is another sign that says very similar things, except with rolls. Maybe you get a roll if you get haggis. Oh, I don't understand what haggis is. To be honest, I didn't even know what haggis was. I didn't know what was in it. Um, I thought it would be meaty. I knew it was a little bit offally. I knew it involved a sheep's stomach. Uh, it sounded kind of gross, to be honest. Um, but I didn't actually know what the ingredients were, and I didn't know what it would taste like. How are you going? Yeah, good, thanks. That's 
good. We are recording a podcast, um, just chatting to people around the festival about what they're doing. Oh, just wondering right. if we could have a chat to you about your food. Yeah, sure. Yeah, cool. Whatever you want. Awesome. <laughs> Can you maybe just start by introducing yourself and telling us what you're doing here? Yeah, um, our company's called Mawat, so we're based in Sunbury, and we sell Scottish specialty foods. So my husband makes uh, haggis, black pudding, Scottish sausage. We make Scottish pies, pasties, everything traditional. So yeah. And what's your name? My name's Donna. And are you guys um, from Scotland? I'm from Wales and my husband's from Scotland. He's from Glasgow. Yeah. Been so, for 30 years. Yeah. Right. So tell us about, I think the first, I mean, I think the main thing that we want to know is we don't know what haggis is. Okay. Um, haggis, well, it's a Scottish delicacy and it's made from minced offal with spices and oatmeal. Um, and traditionally it was served in the lining of a sheep's stomach. But these days, unless people request it ceremonially, they, they get just encased in a synthetic membrane. Um, and yeah, you just eat it with uh, neeps and tatties and it's very tasty. You eat it with what? Um, bash turnip and potato. <laughs> Great. Would so, you like to try some? I would love to. Uh, <laughs> Bear with me, I'll get you some. Oh, thanks. <laughs> it looks very tasty and it smells amazing. Thank you. Oh, wow. Oh, cool. Oh, thank you. Donna handed me a little cup of minced mush with a spoon. I was a bit surprised. I think I was expecting it to come in like a sheep stomach or something, or maybe in a roll, um, but I gave it a try. Have a taste of it. And... So what are the um, little grainy kind of looking bits? That's actually your um, oatmeal. Okay. So yeah, like a steel cut oat, so very organic, very raw. So yeah, mm. quite spicy. Nice and peppery. What kind of spices are in it? Oh, the secret herb and spices. Ah. <laughs> it's um, so tasty. So yeah, you could probably tell the different layers that come through, but there is definitely um, black pepper, um, probably a little bit of cinnamon. Yeah, mixture. I wouldn't give you my husband's recipe. I don't even know it. So. <laughs> is it passed down with the, from the family? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> it tastes meaty, but it also tastes really spicy, almost in a way... Um, like it actually reminds me of like Christmas pudding. Yes. Yeah. There you go. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's not yeah. weird. Yeah. No, no, that's right. Similar spices probably go into it. So mm, probably. probably. Yeah. We wouldn't know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. I was a bit surprised, but I actually really liked it. And later on, I even wanted to go back for more. So that was Michelle reporting on what it's like to eat haggis. I once had a uh, Scottish guy at a St. Pat's Day function tell me that the best thing you can do with the uh, haggis as you're eating it is just cover it in whiskey. <laughs> Wish I had to try that. Yeah, it was, you know, it was nice, added a bit of sharpness and bite. So anyway, thanks for listening. The next episode is the final episode of this series showcasing the 2017 National Celtic Festival. And we've saved one of the best till last. So many people who I spoke to said this band was their festival highlight. Callan, a young, energetic five-piece from Wales. Plus, we'll be profiling a few more local musicians, the Drowsy Maggies and the Melbourne Scottish Fiddle Club. All that plus more on episode four of the National Celtic Festival podcast. Don't forget, you can find out more about the festival at nationalcelticfestival.com. It's on at Port Arlington, Victoria, over the Queen's birthday long weekend in June. And if you like what you've heard on this podcast, please spread the word and tell your friends. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll leave you with the music of Claymore, which was recorded on the Sunday night of the festival at the Celtic Club. Thanks so much for listening.
podcast was produced by Michelle Herbison and Misha Herman with the support of the National Celtic Festival. Audio mixed by Misha Herman. Music used in this episode was recorded at the festival with the permission of the artists. With special thanks to Una McAlinden, the National Celtic Festival, Daniel Hunt, Lucy Wise, all our interviewees, and of course you for listening and sharing this podcast with your friends. <laughs>